Hi, and uh, welcome to the 10th Man Podcast. Um, my name is Colin. Um, here with my buddy Eli. He will be co-hosting this podcast with me. And um, we're going to talk about some stuff that will probably make people angry, which is a good thing, right? So if you're interested in getting angered and or having an opinion and letting other people have an opinion, you should probably stick around. Um, so why 10th Man? Right, so let's discuss that first. Uh, this is the like inaugural episode, so I'll explain that uh, I basically stole it from the movie World War Z. Um, there was a scene in it where Brad Pitt was asking uh, the Israeli guy, where he's like, "How did Israel know that the zombie plague was coming so fast?" And they built a wall. And, you know, the Israeli guy was talking, oh, you know, we heard a communique from the Indian Army, yada, yada, yada. Um, basically, what it came down to is he explained, like, why would you, you know, why would you build a whole wall around the city of Jerusalem for something like that? And uh, he explained it, is that they had the 10th man rule. You know, after, after everything that's happened to uh, Jews throughout the world, you know, over history, especially within the last hundred years, um, and Israel in itself since the uh, inception of the nation, uh, they they formulated the tenth man rule. Now, I want to remove this. I want to put a disclaimer. I want to remove this from the politics surrounding Israel or Judaism or whatever the fuck else that you could possibly want to, uh, I don't know, get offended about. So. I want to remove it from that. I just thought the idea was cool. So the idea of the 10th man rule is that if you have a plan of action, uh, especially like in a governing body, right? You have a plan of action, you're in a room and nine people agree. It is the duty of the 10th man to disagree and to play the devil's advocate in order to find the holes in the plan and uh, make sure that this this kind of like unified like consensus isn't isn't just um, a product of of uh, society, a product of of social belonging and stuff like that, where you're actually missing um, parts of your plan here, which could be crucial. So, what I want to do is apply that rule to society. So, if nine out of ten people are agreeing, I'm going to pick something and find a way to disagree with it, whether I disagree with it or not, right? So this is the devil's advocate position. Um, I'm a bit of a contrarian as it is, um, but this is literally uh, kind of like a an exercise, a mental exercise, a social exercise. And that's kind of my, uh, my take on it, at least. So even some of the things that I'll argue for here aren't even things that I necessarily espouse or believe in. It's just that I want to present a different view and I want to make it a normal um, to be able to present different views and hear different views without becoming uh, woke or overly, overly aggressive. Exactly. So, uh, without further ado, let's get into episode number one of the 10th Man Podcast. All right, Eli. Um, what are you mad about today? What do you think? The weather. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with the weather? The weather has been consistently in the 90s here the past week, and then today it's in the 60s, and looks 
and it has looked like it's going to storm for the entire day without actually doing it. Right. So you get the uh, what we were saying is meteorological blue balls. Correct. Right. Yeah. It's like it's almost like edging, you know. And you're so you're edging, but with the weather, you're like, oh, come on. Just it's probably not raining because just no fucking rain. No military units <laughs> in the field right now. That's right. Yeah, that's probably it. Actually, if they're waiting. If somebody was, it would be pouring in. Yeah, it's waiting. It's, it's essentially um, uh, God waits for infantry units to go to the field so that He can bukkake on them. Um, yeah, <laughs> which is which is essentially fair enough. Yeah, exactly how that goes. So, um, if you can't tell, both me and Eli are um, are veterans. Um, he was in the Marines. I was in the Army. Uh, he was an infantryman. I was a medic. So. Um, that should give you just a little bit of background, um, on kind of like our mindset as far as like, we're good with like gallows humor. Um, and we don't take things too seriously and we're, we're usually going to have a little bit harsher of an opinion than, uh, the general populace, I would say. Um, as well, uh, we went to Carolina together, so he's finishing up. I just finished up. Uh, we were both exercise science guys. Um, and you know pre-health and stuff like that so i'm kind of continuing on the track of health and he's burgeoning into the um track of health and so we have we have a lot of good things to talk about we actually even shared the same minor uh health and society um you know and most people would would look at us and not expect us to take like a, a sociology minor um what do you think about that i just thought i thought it would apply well to the job to be honest with you, like me trying to be a physical therapist, if I understand, like obviously the 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 way the body moves and everything, that's the exercise, sports, science side of it. But then you look at like the society side of it, because obviously I'm going to be working with people. So I f- I figured it would make me a more well-rounded uh, physical therapist. So yeah, that, that was that was my intention behind minoring in, and also with the way the college system works. I didn't want to waste my time taking classes that I didn't think pertain to what A, I was either interested in or B, wouldn't really help just to get the credits that I need to get that degree. Right. So I figured out a minor in something that was worth it to me, which is why I decided to do that. You know, uh, yeah, right, because you don't have to take a minor. I think it's something that um, was good. I, I really am glad that I did it now and that I'm done with it. Yeah, it keeps it keeps me from feeling like I'm wasting time. Right. And well, like, oh, be and, there, and there's it really kind of takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. You're like, do I take an art class now or you know? Yeah. No. You you take the class. You basically can barely fit in all the classes that you need between your major, your minor, and all the prereqs for whatever grad school you want to go to. Right. Um, me myself, I want to go to PA school. Um, I'm really passionate about medicine. I'm actually more passionate about like VA medicine. Uh, I actually work at the VA right now. Um, maybe I'm giving too many details. So if I say something fucked up, I can go get fired. But, um, no, I mean, I'm passionate about like thinking about health from a, uh, from a kind of a global health perspective as far as, um, all these different factors of our life lead into our health, right? And lead into our patient's health. And it can be social factors or it can be biological factors. And I think that we've gotten pretty good at taking care of biological factors and uh, not so great at addressing the social factors. 
And I think that if we want to prevent all the work that we have to do in the ER, we have to start being proactive out in the community. Um, one of the things that we're doing for this job right now is basically a, um, a home-based primary care program where I'm going to be going out to veterans' houses, like older veterans' houses, Jerry vets, essentially geriatric veterans, um, 75 and up, and we'll be going to their houses and helping to set up their medicines and kind of um, looking around at their house and seeing, like, you know, is their house even safe to live in? Is that Can that they get around? Is that a new thing? Yeah, it's a, it's a new thing, general. essentially. It is. Um, it's going to go cool. live here pretty soon across the country. Not at every VA, but in a, f a select few. And um, I think it's going to be a good program. Yeah, really it's good. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, I was an EMT. I've done EMT shit, so I'm cool with going to people's houses and stuff. Um, but I think, uh, you know, with this job, I was telling you I can do more. Um, I can I can do more procedures. I can do more. You know, my, my scope of practice is just essentially larger in this job. Right. Um, and that being said, I, I can, you know, go to these people's houses and I can really make a difference. And there's there's something kind of cool knowing that all of my patients are veterans. That's cool. Yeah. That's you know a, I, mean? I didn't realize that that was a a thing and b that it was new. Yeah. So I figured so that's yeah, that's actually pretty cool that they're moving like in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, so they have home based primary care already. We're basically going to adjunct that. Um, and uh, really tailor it towards the emergency side of things. So if they come in for an emergency visit, then, you know, they'll send us out a couple of days after to go check up on them and make sure everything is going to plan. Hmm. If they got stitches to remove, we'll go remove their stitches. We'll set them up with appointments and stuff like that. So, cool. uh, yeah, I think it'll be good. I think it'll be good. Um, so today I would like to talk about the law of unintended consequences. This is something that has been on my mind pretty much constantly, uh, since the pandemic, um, craze started like a year and a half ago, you know, so there's this guy, Frederick Bastier, um, and forgive me if I'm butchering his name. I've never taken a day of French in my life, but, um, Frederick Bastiat, 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 Bastier, Bastiat. Um, anyways, uh, the dude basically came up with the law of unintended consequences as a way of explaining um, the second and third order effects uh, that were unintentional, uh, unintentional that come from government intervention and things, particularly economics, right? So he was thinking of it from an economic standpoint. It's, uh, from what I understand, never having taken an economics class, um, from what I understand, it is a fundamental tenet that they teach in economics um and there's uh like uh, adam smith's invisible hand and you can look into that uh, that's kind of i think more on the positive side of the unintended consequences but uh, it it also has some some pretty serious negative effects right and it can range from anything from just simple stupid municipal shit that ends up like causing more problems than it solves um and goes all the way to uh like real life death across the country because or homelessness or whatever right and i can i can kind of give you some uh some examples of that right so um on the low end on the municipal end right let's talk about franklin street in may or june 2020 okay so remember in march they shut everything down right correct 
Okay. And all the bars were shut down for like through August, I think. Right, right after my wild concert week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah boy. So all the bars were shut down. Correct. But then do you remember when they opened up where you can serve again if you if you have food, you know, so if you're a restaurant bar you can serve food again right. and stay open through that. Yeah, but actual bars were so all So you remember like done. right, yeah. So you couldn't go someplace just to drink. You had to you could go someplace if they had food. Correct. Even if you went there just to drink. Right? Correct. So one nonsensical in to begin with. And actually they didn't even do I think right off initially when they lifted it, you weren't even allowed to stay in inside. Yeah. 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 Well, so it got to a point where you could stay inside and you could go there literally just to drink. Right. right? Yeah. Even though all Eventually. the bars were closed. I just don't remember exactly. Was that so I'll think about a, couple months into a specific it? bar um, with a three-letter acronym as, uh. its, as its name, right? Um, so this bar, is it's, it's a bar and grill essentially, but at night it basically turns into a club. Okay, and it's on Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. Um, and, <laughs> you know, they had shut everything else down. And um, another place that we go to that we love, Four Corners, closes down at like 9 o'clock or 9 or 10 or something at like that. At the time, yeah. Yeah, at yeah. the time. And um, this other place didn't. It stayed open. So it was essentially the only place in Chapel Hill that you can go to that was still open past a certain time. And they were serving alcohol in barely anybody was eating food right but they like served mozzarella sticks till two in the morning so they could you know legally stay open right but the whole thing was that we went there and it was like nut to butt with like 400 or 500 people in this bar in and around this bar in and outside of it and nobody's wearing a mask and everybody's like literally like six inches from each other's face right and i couldn't help but think that that was a perfect example of the law of unintended consequence in that they closed everything else down in an attempt to get people to social distance and to stay away from each other and stuff like that. But because they kind of like left this weird little loophole, everyone that would have been spread out at all these different places that would have been a couple feet apart or in their own small groups and stuff like that. Now, was basically licking sweat off each other's fucking shoulders at this other bar. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so law of unintended consequences. I was thinking about that because that was a that was a local thing that they had decided. You know what I mean? That was a yeah. Chapel Hill mandate, right? And I just thought that's funny. And it, it kind of goes along with like, you know, does it make sense to shut down all the bars and stuff? Because at the bars and at these restaurants, you can have rules. Right, so you can say, well, you have to wear masks in and out, and whenever you're moving around, and there can only be so many people in the restaurant, in the bar, and you have to sit, you know, so far away from other groups. Okay, but are those rules the same at home? Absolutely not. No. So if you can't go to those fucking restaurants, if you can't go to those bars, then people are just at home. Basically licking each other's fucking armpits. But with, the, yeah, so it's just like, aside, the way I felt about it the whole entire time was aside from the initial, like, two-week thing and everybody was like, oh, this is a serious problem. Shut everything down for two weeks. I was like, 
yeah, okay, whatever, you know. And then from then on, I was like, it's kind of up to the, it should have been up to the business owners, to be honest with you. It's like, if you want to be open and you want to enforce the mask rule, do it. If you don't, then don't. Yeah. And it's up to you whether you want to, if you want to go there and roll the dice, being in a restaurant where people are free to come in and out with or without a mask, whatever. No, oh, bro, you can't make your own decisions. That'd be reckless. Well, of course not. That'd be ridiculous. That would be reckless. And that's that's what I do now. So now in North Carolina, I think I think pretty much across the country, except yeah. maybe one or two yeah. states, the the mask stuff has been lifted, right? Sure. In my grocery store up in town, everybody's still wearing a mask. Oh yeah. And I'm not and it's not because I'm trying to be a piece of shit or anything, but it's just like why are you guys? Everybody has been so used to doing this thing that it's weird for them to not. Well, I don't think anybody working there should have to wear one. It's I don't not think any of it. It's not only that. It's like literally, like visually, you can see somebody from a distance, right? Yeah. It's virtue signaling. You know who's on your team I'm from against, a distance. I'm against it. <laughs> yeah, but according that, to that, but yeah, man. But that's it, what I'm saying is that you know who's on your team without ever having to talk to them. Yeah, so you when, the, when somebody's like not wearing a mask in there, yeah. me and him look at each other and like do the nod, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you get it. Well, so <laughs> so I should put a caveat on here, right? So when the pandemic first came out, actually, it was like late December. I went out and bought five boxes of fucking gloves and some masks, yeah. right? So because I I knew it was coming early, I had been reading the reports and I didn't like what I heard. I had actually literally just gotten done with a microbiology class. So I was still pretty plugged into kind of like what maybe the implications of this might be. Mm. Um, and I understood it maybe just a little bit better than the layperson. And, you know, so I was I was really kind of plugged in. I, I got ready for it. It came. I was taking it very seriously, especially like when they had like videos of fucking people just like dropping dead in the street in China. I was like, what is going on? You know what I mean? <laughs> so I thought this was the one because this is something that uh, I've known, you know, and knew well before this that we've been tracking for a long time in Wuhan or in this area in China, especially in these like really remote regions that people don't really often go in these caves. There's, uh, you know, collections of bats. There's bat, or there's bat populations that are there. Um, and after SARS, right? So we had SARS and MERS. After SARS, and SARS and MERS are both other types of coronaviruses, okay. Um, but after SARS, they started really, really looking at these bats because they're like, hey, this is going to happen. It's going to make the jump. And coronaviruses are uh, uniquely, uniquely um, perfect almost for pandemics, right? Because uh, have, you ever get, or have you ever played the game Plague on your phone? I've seen it, but I've never played it myself. So if you've never played Plague, um, basically what the idea of it is, is to make a pathogen that is um, very pathogenic in the way that it can spread, but and lethal in enough that it, because you have to kill all like 7.5 billion people in order to win, right? But, so you want it to be able to kill people, but you don't want it to kill too many people because if it kills too many people, it does two things. Like one, it kills everybody that is its reservoir essentially, right? And it's vector essentially, like the, the people that are carrying it around and spreading it to other people, okay? So then it stops the spread that way. And then two, 
it spurs the world essentially to start formulating fucking vaccines and shutdowns and all this other stuff. So, so you want it to like slowly do it? Yes. So no one really takes Essentially notice. what you want it, it to do is you want it to get everywhere and then you want to turn up the, the killing power once okay. it's like infected everybody. Yeah, that's fair. So it could just murder people, right? Okay. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's kind of funny because coronaviruses are um, uniquely good at that kind of balance in that they are very very um either they're usually very very easy to pass between people so they're very very infectious right um but then not always like extremely deadly right so they don't kill everybody but they kill a lot of people so <laughs> it's different from like ebola where ebola is actually harder to pass because you basically have to catch it from a mosquito Right, so they would have to go to uh, somebody's blood that has Ebola, and then come to you, and then accidentally give you Ebola. Essentially, right? That's right. how that that's how that works. And Ebola is a hemorrhagic fever caused by a virus. Okay, but it kills ninety percent of the people that get it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's uh, white privilege aside. Like you're gonna fucking die. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, there's there's very few people that actually ever end up surviving Ebola, and those people tend to be people like, who, you know, employees and stuff like that. Like I was listening to a guy, I cannot remember his name off the top of my head, but basically he was a who employee that was over there in Africa when it was the Ebola outbreak, and he got Ebola, and it took him sixty days in intensive care. For like 45 fucking days in intensive care to survive it. You know what I mean? Like his, yeah. his body tried its best to fucking die. You know? Um, and in that sense, like, you, why Ebola hasn't spread all over the world as fast is just because, like, it kills everyone that it essentially comes into contact with. So, you know? It's not really getting past person to person so much, and it, you know it has the vector of this mosquito that's that's um, and you can transmit otherwise, but this is the that's the main vector, right? And you know, um, whereas like SARS and MERS and everything like that, now you're talking respiratory, okay? So you're not talking bloodborne. Now you're talking respiratory, and it's not even just respiratory because. There's two different kinds of respiratory that we worry about, right? So there's there's the one kind that we thought coronavirus was, which was droplets. Okay, so we thought that it came from respiratory droplets, where like if me and you are sitting here right now, uh, my respiratory droplets usually only go about three feet. Yeah. Okay, so three feet. To six feet. Unless yeah. I'm like screaming, or you know what I mean. Yeah. So. So like three to four feet. So you're saying that's where the six foot yeah. rule came from? Yes, and that's essentially um, where it came from. It's kind of an arbitrary number, to be honest. I think they just picked it because it sounded yeah. good. But And everybody kind of knows what six feet is because it's about the length of an adult human male, right? Yeah. Um, but <laughs> really, it comes from this, the fact that droplets, um, as, as far as transmission, can only go so far through the air. Because they're kind of heavy and they fall, right? Yeah. Now there's 
a difference between droplets and droplet nuclei. And droplet nuclei can travel on fomites like dust in the air, in the air right? So air particles carry dust. Um, and like that's like dead skin cells and, and pet dander or whatever the fuck, right? Yeah. Uh, dirt sometimes even. Um, but anyways, regardless of what it is, okay, the virus can actually travel on that. And that is essentially lighter than air to an extent or or because of its surface area to uh, mass ratio it floats. Uh, that's when you have airborne illnesses. And airborne illnesses mean that if you're sitting on the opposite side of the room than me and I'm sitting in the same room with you and we don't have any kind of special ventilation, like you're going to get what I got, yeah. right? Because eventually you're going to breathe in my what I'm breathing. Right. Okay. So, <coughs> that is what makes coronavirus, uh, coronavirus family, essentially, um, especially scary. Because it's often transmitted that way, and it's got this weird balance between infecting and killing. Yeah. Okay. So, we've known about this for like 20 years. Okay. So, we've known about this since, well, probably probably longer, but... But the top scientists uh, have been decrying this for about 20 years, right? And that is where we started doing what's called gain-of-function research. Okay, and gain-of-function research is essentially research where you take a pathogen and you make it more pathogenic through genetic manipulation and through artificial um, selection, essentially. So artificial selection pressures, okay? which would mimic natural selection, right? So you're basically evolving this um, pathogen and, and you're doing it, you're forced so that you can see it in real time so that they can study it, right? Um, and in the way that, <laughs> in the way that they can kind of like, okay, oh this is how it's probably gonna evolve if uh, exposed to this kind of pressure and that's how they thought that they would be able to get in front of these things, right? So they thought, if we understand how it evolved, we can uh, break a link in the chain somehow. Or, you know, have preventative measures so that we don't have to worry about it jumping to humans. Okay. The problem is, is that, um, like, half of the uh, medical and scientific community were completely in opposition to this. Because they said, well, hey, you're going to create a super pathogen. And it only takes one fuck up. And I personally think that's kind of where we're at today, is one fuck up later. And it got out. Because there's a, um, there's a cleavage site. Um, there's a cleavage site on the... Virus that from a genetic code that essentially is only seen in this kind of research. Okay, so it's really only seen in gain of function research. It's not something that we really see in the wild. So it has a lot of markers of being manipulated, um, as well as the fact that, like, I mean, you think about like <sighs> they wanted to go in and see the records of the lab, but then the military had gone in and seized all the records and deleted everything and there was like zero transparency and there's a lot of like conflicts of interest between uh, world infectious disease experts from the WHO 
and Wuhan, China, the Institute of Virology, right? Um, and there's actually only two level four uh, institutes like this in the world. Do you know where they are? Well, one's in Wuhan. Guess where the other one is? UNC. Oh, shit. Not even joking. Oh, damn. Not even joking. So the other, like, top dog in this is here. And actually, one of the uh, the leaders from our lab here, because uh, they discontinued things, and they picked them back up, and they discontinued them um, just based on some politics that was going on, right? So actually, Trump loosened up some uh loosened up a moratorium on the uh <laughs> on the studies that were going on and actually you know what's funny anthony fauci in 2017 publicly made a statement to trump like you're gonna cause a pandemic or you're gonna have a pandemic on your hands right mm. in 2017 okay um i believe i'd, I'd have to look up the year but I, th I think it was 2017 that he had said that and um, there was a lot of people that were really in opposition to that. Actually, it was funny because I think Obama had put the moratorium on um, during his presidency. I don't even know what's moratorium even mean. Uh, it's kind of like a hiatus, like a like a break, stop, like a don't do this for now type of thing for and a certain period of time. Oh, and that's toward like the gain of function testing. Yeah, for okay. for the gain of function research. So yeah. they had put a moratorium on it. Well, actually, so one of the, the head guys from this lab here at UNC just co-authored a letter to, the, I think it was The Who. I should say, stop saying The Who. That's like the band, The Who. <laughs> no, but um, to the World Health Organization, right? Yeah. Um, they basically said, hey, we need to investigate all possible genesis, genesis, of this virus, okay, all possible origins of this virus, including the lab leak theory, uh, which was funny because for, you know, the entire pandemic, the um, mainstream scientific community basically ridiculed anybody who would bring up the lab leak theory, right? Even people like, um, like Brett Weinstein and his wife, Heather Hying, both evolutionary biologists, have been saying, hey, this could be a thing, right? And we need to investigate it. And they got lit on fire, right? What is well, what is the lab? So the lab leak hypothesis is just that um, essentially that they were doing gain-of-function research. They made oh, okay. a super virus, essentially, or they were in the process of making a super virus. And they had somebody careless, and it got on somebody's clothes or something like that, and they brought it out into the, into the outside world, right? Which is why it started in Wuhan and... Uh, then get out to the rest of the world, um, which, you know, you can put on your tinfoil hat. We can talk about this sometime if you really want to. Uh, I, was, I was just curious. Y yeah. I I you like lab, I was like, I don't even know what lab Personally, I don't trust the Chinese government, um, you know, and I don't know why that ever sounds like a bad thing to people. They're like, oh, it's like xenophobic. I'm like, no, motherfucker. It's the same people that were running people over with tanks in Tiananmen Square. You know what I mean? Like it's it's I mean doing horrendous shit to the Uyghur Muslims and stuff like that. Like I'm like, uh, how are we? What was the cognitive dissonance that's going on here right now that you can call me a xenophobe for not liking a fucking, you know, communist Chinese government that's terrible to its people and doesn't have any free speech? 
nevertheless, yeah, you know, yeah. without getting too far yeah, without down, <laughs> down that down. rabbit yeah, hole, yeah, yeah, yeah. down that rabbit hole, right? Um, I, I, I think that the rest of the world had a lot more to lose from this pandemic than China did. Um, I think that China behaved very poorly in this and that they were not transparent and that they were almost defensive, if not very defensive. And um, and the fact that they didn't share their data or or a lot of different things um, during this that maybe could have saved a lot of lives, right? And oh then yeah, on the other side of man. things, on the on the other side of things, so we were talking about like how America is like self, like flagellating all the time, like it's beating itself, like it's just like I fucking hate us, you know, and just whips itself in the back all the time. Right. You know, says it's ten Hail Marys and fucking does it the real Catholic way. Um <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about that because like I rem you know, I didn't like Trump. I fucking hated Trump, to be honest. And like when Trump was coming into office in two thousand sixteen or when the the campaign was in two thousand fifteen, um, you know, I like I had a like a huge problems and I was like railing against the dude. I, I railed against him. I was about it. I've been about uh, it. <laughs> see, I, and I railed against him for like most of his fucking presidency, really. Um, but I'll tell you what. You know, he saw the issue. He wanted to shut down trade and borders with China, essentially. Right. As soon as it happened. Because he was like, hey, this is going to be an issue. And I'm sure all of his advisors, or his advisors that were close to him were like, hey, this is going to be an issue. Simple solution. Just shut everything down for a little while. Right. Well, what did the left proceed to do? They called him a xenophobe yeah. and fucking, you know, said he was racist and you know, and all this stuff, yeah. you know. And like, I don't care what his fucking like real motivation was. Like, that was probably the best move that we could have had at that point was shut everything down with China. But then they like try to force everything to come back open, and then not even like a month or two after that. They then had the gall to flip the entire script and be like, why didn't you do anything sooner? And it's like, what the fuck? Well, what? I mean, you know, he was trying to do stuff, and then you literally shit your pants well, to you call him a racist. Well, you probably noticed from like military stuff, they always say the worst decision you can make is no decision. Yeah, indecision, right. So if, if you pull the trigger on something, yes. you at least you can adjust from there. So if you just do nothing, then that's when it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, and it, it obviously so this was... Regardless of how you feel about what he did, he did some things. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yes. Well, and obviously this was embroiled in other things that he did throughout his presidency, like the the quote-unquote, like, Muslim ban and stuff like that, right? Yeah, um, yeah whatever. <laughs> I mean, you know, it is what it is, and, and I'm sure that there's probably more complicated... You know, stuff that goes along with that that I'm just not qualified to talk about. What I am qualified to talk about, or I feel that I'm educated enough to talk about at this point, is the fact that he tried to do what is ostensibly the right thing, which is shut down shit with China so that it doesn't fucking spread here. Um, and then he got called a xenophobe. And then two months later, they were like, why didn't you do anything sooner? Yeah. And it's like, well, he tried. And you basically, like, railroaded him, you know? And... It's not an uncommon thing. It's um. Have you ever read 1984, George Orwell? No. Okay. Well, I have a book for you. All right. So you can you can take it with you. One of these things is like, uh, one of these themes throughout the book is like, uh, you know, um, 
X country uh, has always been at war with, you know, Y country. And that's the way it's always been. And then throughout the book, it'll change where it's like, X country has always been allies with Y country. What are you talking about? You know, like that kind of thing. And it's like this, um, this like concept of like double think, you know, uh, where I'm not going to explain it well, so I'm not even going to try to attempt to, but basically it's, it's just, it just kind of comes down to like these two completely contradictory things that are being espoused by the left in order just to spite, you know, Donald Trump. Oh, right. Um, (laughs) even though they're so blatantly contradictory, but it serves the purpose of the party. right? Right. Yeah. And, it's just so wildly frustrating and disappointing. You know what I mean? Because it's like, when did we lose our minds this much that it became more important to defeat the president of our own country rather yeah. than save us from a pandemic or make good international decisions? Right. You know what I mean? Like, is setting, is setting up one person for failure worth the health of the country? You know what I'm saying? And yeah. That, yeah, I, I have a lot of issues with that. I have a lot of issues with that. And That's a big problem with, I mean, in the in the political realm of things, I feel like as far as the two parties being at ends with each other, it's worse than it's ever been. I think anybody can agree with that. And instead of being like when I didn't vote for Joe Biden, but when he got elected, I was like, you know, I hope he proves me wrong. I hope. I hope he does well. Right. Just for the good of you yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. Like you, you you have to think Look, man, that if way. you root for the failure of the president of your own country. You're, yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, you're a <laughs> like, fucking like idiot. But yeah. You're a moron. Absolutely. Right? No matter what party they are, because you want them to succeed. Right. Because that means that you succeed. That yeah. means that your country succeeds. If they fail, then you also fail. Right. And your country fails, and you become the laughing stock of the fucking world, and you're vulnerable. People, I think, have totally um, stepped away from the idea that uh, our government, by the way, keeps us from getting fucking railroaded by the rest of the world. Okay, right? I'm not saying that our government is good or perfect or anything like that. I'm just saying that we have to have it. Otherwise, we would be getting fucking murdered by Iranians and the Chinese and fucking North Korea and all of our other enemies. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Granted, we might not have as many enemies without the government. But I mean, <laughs> but it's, but it's that's, just, it's that's not the point. It's the nature of the beast. Sure. You know what I'm saying? So to be, um, to be secure, to be safe, to be um, sovereign, you have to have a military and a government. And especially because of human nature and just the way human beings are, it'll yeah. never be perfect ever. No right. Matter who's so, doing so then it comes back down to this: is like sometimes it's not going to be your guy. Yeah. That doesn't mean that you should root for them to fail, right? Because that's still your government. If they fail, shit ends up on your porch. And what? And the way I think everything is going now, and even in the in the future going forward, at least until something happens where everybody can just kind of meet in the middle and be like, all right, it's going to be, you're going to have four years of everything moving one way, and then the next election, the opposite party's going to get elected, 
or damn close to it. And they're just going to literally try to undo everything the last president did. Yeah. And it's just going to go nowhere. And there's that's, no, and there's that's no the forward problem. movement. It's, yeah, it's one it's step forward and two steps back for that reason. Right. It's just nothing. It's just going to stay stagnant, which is where, which is what bothers me. All right. So let's, let's move on to this one. What do you think about the whole erasing college debt thing? It can never happen. It just can't. It's just I mean, not a let's thing. say it could. Let's say that we could just snap. Pay snap for it and tomorrow. it's all and it's all gone. Pay for it tomorrow. No, right. I mean we have to add on to the national debt, but we just we, well, right, we get yeah. it passed. It's not good. Nothing's free ever. Somebody's paying for it. So you're you you would essentially be charging people that even didn't go to college to pay for your further education. That you don't need to be successful in the first place. Sure. And it might not be an education that actually adds anything of value Correct. to society or your career. So I think it's ridiculous. And you and someone as a younger person going through it, you know what I mean? Going through school, me and you figured out how to get it for free. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's ways to do it. Well, you know, I'll say this. It wasn't free, right? Well, still, uh, well still earn paid it. for it. Earn it. Yeah, you paid for it with five years of your life, eight, eight. years of your life, and yeah. fucking, you know what I mean? So That's what I mean, earned. Yeah. Or if you do very well in high school and you get scholarships and things like but that. But the cool thing about it, like, it. so we're, we're basically, if anybody's lost here, we're talking about the GI Bill, okay? And the GI Bill, um, you get after you've done a certain amount of time, active duty, um, and you can basically get out and go to a school. They'll pay up to $21,500 if every year. you get out honorably. If okay. you get out honorably, right. So, I mean, there's there's certain criteria that you have to meet before you can use it. But for the standard veteran, they're eligible to use the GI Bill. And that being said, like, they'll pay for a school for up to $21,500 a year. And actually, even all these private schools have a thing called the Yellow Ribbon Program that'll make up the rest of it. So, like, even if you go to, like, Duke, for example, it's, like, 50 fucking grand a year. Harvard or yeah, yeah, they'll make up the rest of it, right? But okay, and the other thing too that maybe people realize less often is that you get paid while you're in school, so you yep. get paid uh, what it's called in the military as a basic allowance for housing, so BAH, um, and that's here in North Carolina. So like what, fifteen hundred bucks a month? Yeah. So you get fifteen hundred dollars a month, right? Tax free just to go to school, and then on top of that, you can apply for federal financial aid through FAFSA, and uh, I mean, I, I think I was getting like four or five grand a year, or four or five grand a semester, I should say. Only? No, I'm, I'm not saying only, I'm saying yeah, I was getting four or five grand yeah. a semester, as I, as I'm and I know people who have gotten more than that. Right. So, I mean, it's a pretty sweet situation, really, you know, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, the military is not a cakewalk, and you are going to give up four years at a minimum of your life and me and me being only having income from that i mean yeah. you're, you're definitely poverty line like it's nothing like if i had a family or something yeah it wouldn't be enough. No, no 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 but no. just but just for me it's something to float in an, you though in an apartment and everything it yeah. is it is enough when you get the grants from that and then on top of the bh you get from the gi bill and all that stuff like it's yeah it's, it's a good deal it's certainly something that would float you through you know 
if you needed it. The years of just getting exactly. through school. Yeah. And um, so, like, I was able to do my four-year degree in three years. I got paid the entire time. It was, uh, I mean, an awesome opportunity. I bought a house while I was, you know, working through all this. I mean, granted, I had some other income, but, yeah. um, you know, I bought a house with my VA home loan and stuff like that. So, um, I don't know how we got sidetracked on this, but if you're ever thinking about it, uh, the military is not a terrible way to go. You just got to... The Uncle Sam's going to get his pound of flesh. Just make sure that you get yours back. That's all I'll say about it. Nothing and nothing um, says you got to be a door kicker grunt sure, anyways. Sure, sure. But you, you know, don't have to be in harm's way if you don't want to. Going back to it, though, right? What we were talking about is that this is not free. So, like, if they just want to erase a certain amount of college debt, which I, th- I think that they weren't saying, like, Let's pay everyone's college bills, all of them, right? It was like, oh, you know, we'll pay 25000 or 50000 of your bills or something like that. Um, you know, I kind of think that it's not a terrible idea in one aspect and that um, I think that we as a society have, like, really failed our generation and the maybe even the generation right before us and obviously the generation that's coming, um, in that college is not a necessity. It's a it's a privilege. It's a privilege. It's one hundred percent girls privilege. girls in the Middle East can't go to college. And it's always <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not getting into that so much, but it's it's always just an option, right? But it's not even always the best option. It's not necessary. Right? Because if you go to college for art history, expect to be in the art history market as far as jobs go when you get out. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with art history, but I am saying that if you're going to college to get employed, that's not the fucking major to go into. Right? Like, you might be lucky and get a job after that, but what I'm saying is that, like, I just don't see how basically forcing kids to go to college under this idea that like if you go to college you'll be successful right um how that marries with allowing kids to go to school in the attempt to gain employment and then study something like art history or underwater fucking basket weaving is essentially is what we would call it in the army or in the military right like why yeah (laughs) it's pointless yeah, is is absolutely pointless, right? Like, like even then, like look at look at look at our degree, right? This exercise science degree. Right. You know that we're not qualified to go be athletic trainers, right? It's it's a jumping point to an advanced school. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's that's what we to do. get to get to. That's the what re- we have. You cannot get a real money. you cannot get a fucking job with this degree. No. In this field, no. You can't. You have to take additional certifications, which is hilarious because I don't know why my four year degree is worth less than a five week fucking certification. But it is. Well, that's that's the system. Yes. Right. Yeah. But, um, you know, so for people out there that are thinking this, like, do I go to college? Do I not go to college? I say go if you want to go learn things. Dude. Like, if your if your goal is to go and learn as much as possible, go to college. It's a great experience. I really loved it. I wouldn't change it for the world. Okay. But if your job is to become employed. I would just say use caution. Use this caution in what you're going to school for and then what you do at school because we have a friend right now that's in the business school that's going to have a real hard time when life smacks him in the fucking face when he graduates. Agreed. 
You know what I mean? And it, the business school is is at least at Carolina is a place where like you basically have to try not to get a job. Yep. Right. And that's you know I I really hope it works out for them. So my thing, my advice for like young people thinking about on the on the cusp of you know graduating high school and having to think, do I go to do I go to college? Do I go to my thing is I've always just been against that. So I joined honestly one of the reasons I joined the military in the first place. One of the football scholarship wasn't in the cards for me or some kind of sports scholarship wasn't in the cards. Uh and then I was like, Well, I'll be damned if I'm paying for college till I'm fifty. That's not what I wanted to do. Right. So I joined joined the military, you know, wanted to at the time it was like twenty eleven, so the war was still kind of a thing. So I never did any combat, anything like that. I was came in at the tail end of it and missed the window essentially. Um but I mean it's a it's a good experience. And for people that don't want to do the military, whatever, I would say get some get some life experience first. I would say as far as like gen ed classes go, do that at the cheapest yeah, possible community college. Do that. Yes, do that. Please. Do that and work. Those credits are going to transfer anywhere, just about. You know what I mean? Right. So do that until you know shit, figure out you're in a job, and you're like, this is not it. This is not what I want to do. Right. Or you're in a field, and you're like, I want to like, do this, this but I want to be at the higher level. Right. Yeah. That That is when you make the jump to say, hey, until you figure out what no shit major you want to pursue, don't even bother. No. Don't even bother. There's a lot of people that turn a four-year degree into a six-year degree. Right. Just, you know what I mean? just live your life working, making money, and try to get out on your own as soon as possible. Get the fuck well, out of as honestly, soon as you can. That get, gives you that gives you so much more perspective on life, right? Go, yeah. You find out what bills are. You find out all that stuff. Get out as soon as you as soon as you possibly can. And then if you're on your own. And school is getting paid for by you. It's worth it more to you if you know what you're going for, what you want to do, and your grades will stay up because you're fucking paying for it. So if you don't want to waste your own fucking money, you will take it serious. Sure. And that's where let's I, that's let's where get back at. to this point that I made that like there's there's two schools of thought on this, right? So if you're going to school for employment have a plan i've always said okay, STEM. so if you're if you're going STEM to school something well you know and there's beyond stem like because well, there's there's business and there's economics and there's, there's there's a lot of stuff right right um you can just just have a plan just have a plan make sure that everything that you're doing is with intent okay like you need to have intent with everything that you do in life uh particularly the things that are going to put you in debt for maybe over a decade right so so really consider that um, if you're going for the sake of employment because you want to find a good career field, then go with intent and know what you're doing, right? And you do not you do not have to go to school at 18 years old if you don't want to, right? <laughs> My dog just pushed the door open. <laughs> you, you wanna you wanna kick I'll him out him. real quick? I get him out. All right, come on, buckwheat. Oh Jesus! You can't see that right now. 
So I, I guess that's that's kind of what I get at. Now, there's another school of thought that's basically like, do you just want to go to school to learn? Like if Because if, if that's what you want to do, then that's a different story. Because you can just go to school just to learn. And you can study shit like gender studies and art history and whatever the fuck else you want to. You know, and I'm not saying that any of those things are bad. I'm just saying uh, they're not employable. Although one of those, at least uh, that I mentioned, is probably becoming increasingly employable. Um, So (laughs) consider that. Probably gender studies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just, um, not that there's anything wrong with it, but what The advancement of society. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, well, there's... I just, I just, uh, I know, I know somebody who just got a job with a certain corporation for like five hundred grand a year to be the diversity and inclusion officer. Hey man, uh, yeah, because they studied gender studies and get this college. bread, dude. Hey, you can sell it as long as this whole woke culture SJW thing keeps up. Like you can, uh, you can capitalize on it. Yeah. Um, beyond that, though, uh, college debt, as far as that goes, um, one. You know, I I have two trains on this. Like, one is like, hey, let's right the wrongs. Let's uh take this uh, take this burden off these kids' shoulders, and um kind of hard reset from here and go, hey, everyone after this, like you're not fucking getting it. Like you don't have to go to college. Um, carpenters are making forty fucking dollars an hour. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? All like all the trades are. Yeah, dude. right. Well, it's and that's especially because of the unions, and that's a whole different conversation, right? It's, um, it's just a cycle. Yeah, but it it messes with employment there too, and and that y- that could be part of this whole law of unintended consequences thing, right? So like yeah. the unions set a price so high that the you know that the companies can't match it or whatever, so they start hiring like illegal employees instead. Yeah. Scabs and shit. Well, my my stand on the on the whole college debt and all this other stuff. It's not society's problem that you chose to go to school and now you're in debt. That's yeah. your, that's your own problem. Sure. Now my thing is that, that would be my other. My so I had the one that was sympathetic, and then the unsympathetic one I'm was not. like, "Hey, man, I had the same fucking information that you did growing up, and I didn't make that fucking mistake." I'm not. Yeah, I am not sympathetic to it, and. What I think needs to change about the whole college thing is the attitude toward it. I think that society's attitude toward it, that you need it to succeed. If all you care about is just employment and making a decent living for yourself, and you don't necessarily care so much what you do. Or you don't have a fucking idea what you want to do. Don't invest go to $50,000 to, go, to go do work. something you don't know what the fuck you want to do. AMU. When I was in, I was doing AMU. AMU yeah. seven hundred fifty bucks a class, and those credits transferred into UNC, which is one of the best public schools in the country. Literally the oldest public school in the country. Right. So right. It, it you yeah just do that <laughs> is what I is what I would say. Well, not everybody can join the military. You know that's, well, that's AM, just, I think AMU it's just a public university well, system. Right. But so, so Phoenix I, I think University of Phoenix is. Well, don't know. go to the University of Phoenix. Don't or do that or whatever. <laughs> But I think I think that um, there's an underlying current of agreement here, whether you're sympathetic or not sympathetic to it. Okay, so if you're sympathetic to it and you say let's pay for it this once and let's get it done with, um, or if you're not sympathetic to it and you're like no fuck that, I think it all comes back down to the one underlying point, which is like hey we need to as a society change our mind about it. 
We need to change our mind about what college is and what it means and how useful it is, right? So academia's kind of got um, 18 to 22-year-olds by the balls right now. Correct. And it, look, I'm a huge proponent of going to learn more and do more and experience more, right? But what I'm not a proponent of is basically, you know, you get out of school at 18, you go into college not knowing what you want to go for, so, but you go for a four-year degree and you go to a four-year college because that's where all your friends went and you want to be in the dorms or you want to go in a sorority or whatever it might be. And then you don't know what you want to study. So the first year you kind of just pick something and then you go study. And then uh, year two, you're like, I don't know about this. And year three, you're like, oh, I'm going to switch. And then you're there for year four. And then you got to be a super senior for year five. And you get out at the end of year five. You never did any internships. You don't have any job prospects. You have nothing on your resume. You're 22, 23 years old right now. You've never actually had a real job other than maybe bussing tables or bartending or something like that. And now you're, you, you have this degree and then you have six months to, to, to basically get your shit together before you start having to pay it off like a mortgage mm -hmm. and you can't get a fucking job. And I think that there's something about that. That's like inherently fucking criminal because it's like, it's like we have rules against advertising to children but we don't have any rules against Harvard and Yale and Princeton and Carolina and Duke and the University of Wisconsin advertising to children because it's seen as a good thing, because it's seen as academia, because it's seen as, as something. But really what they're doing is they're selling a product, okay? And we I think we tend to lose sight of this, is that these schools are, are selling a product. It's not just an education. It's a product. You know experience. what I mean? It, it's 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 really nice to say that oh you're going to be educated and stuff like that. There's people that have gone to school for four to eight years that get out dumber than they went in because yeah. they forgot how to think for themselves. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And and realistically speaking, I think that there's something that is inherently immoral about selling your product to children and that you you make them feel like some impending doom in their life that if they don't go to college they're going to be fucking losers because that's basically what society tells them if you don't go to college you're going to be a fucking loser you're not going to make as much money you don't care about college that means that you're not smart right. you know what i mean that's why i said that's why i was saying the society's attitude about it and, and but this is what i'm getting at i yeah. think that even when you're sympathetic or if you're not sympathetic we can all agree on that point is that we need to change our fucking minds about it yeah. because plumbers make like 90 grand a fucking year yeah you know what i mean garbage men who they uh, for some reason always like do you want to end up as like a garbage man or something those motherfuckers make like 50 grand a year that's a living they baby. make a living wage yeah you know what i'm saying like right. go Get into a trade, get into a career, a public service, and you something may never, like that. You may never be a millionaire, but you'll live all right. Well, but but here's the other thing, too, is that we don't teach kids that your income, as far as like your job, your job income, does not have to be your only source of gaining money in life. 
Okay, we need to start teaching about 401ks now this is and investment accounts. This is where my high school came in, came in big. And I can't remember if it was my mom or maybe it was just me kind of took the initiative to take, I don't know if your high school or just high schools across the country offer this, but I took a financial planning class in high school. And it was, it was great. Like, you really do learn a lot. And we had, I think there was, I can't remember the name of the class, but it was like they kept track of, like, stock market trends and things. So I think it was like they picked a stock. They didn't actually invest in it mm-hmm. if they didn't want to, but they just kept tabs on it. But, like, would this be a good investment or not? Like, actual financial classes, and I think were, were key. I learned how to balance a checkbook. I learned all that stuff. Really, which isn't which isn't so much of a thing now because it's all online. Right, right. But I actually, you know, no shit. Well, it's like an exercise in, in financial good. readiness. It's good to know. So yeah, one hundred percent. So I don't know. Did your high school offer that? We had a like a home ec class essentially that we balanced That's a checkbook, but that was it. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, we had a whole class dedicated to literally, and it was at a time when I was in high school and had a job, mm-hmm. had a car. Mm-hmm. So when I would get my paychecks and stuff, I knew percentage-wise, I was like, all right, I should keep this much. All I had to pay for was gas money. Thank God my parents really bailed me out with that. Fair enough. Um, But, you know, I had to put enough money aside for that. But I had to understand where that money was going. You know what I mean? And I think it it did me well when I finally joined the military. And in my mind, it was making real money. But I mean, it is it is a career. It can be. You so know, that's another it thing. Me out a lot. That's another thing is like look back on your experiences and and kind of decide what you can be thankful for. You know, kind of pick what you can be thankful for and and really try to do that. It's an exercise. And I can say that like me personally, I'm thankful for the adversity that I went through as a kid. You know, like I went through. Yeah. I mean, I quit sports and everything in high school because I had a job and I was paying bills. Yeah. You know, I was trying to help my uncle out with, with keeping the house and and I was trying to pay my own way. And not that he made me. Nobody ever made me. But I wanted to. And he let me because he knew that it was important. He knew that it was important that, one, I felt like I was paving my own way. Right. And two, like, because it it's that's a life lesson. Like, you got to pay what you owe. You know what I mean? You've got to work for what you got. And that's what I did. You know? And I think that those lessons really stuck with me. Now, not everybody had that mindset or even had the opportunity to be in those shoes. To be in those shoes, right? Because they didn't feel the need to rise to that occasion. Because they had parents. I didn't need to. Only thing I paid for when I was in high school, despite having a job. And all that, just a local, you know, grocery store, mm-hmm. high, sc- high school gig, mm-hmm. uh, was just gas money for the car. Fair enough. They were like, hey, you, you know, and th- my car was a hand-me-down, mind you. Yeah. So it was essentially went from but it's, it, but my older siblings down to me, and then right. it was like, hey, you want to put gas in it? You want to go to your friend's house and shit? Yeah. You're using your own damn money. Like, cool. Well, see, but I don't think that that's a bad thing either, though. It's not. You know? And and a lot of people um, who have gone through hard times always get this kind of like, well, you should be going through them too, or or you know, younger kids need to go through that. And yeah, and I don't necessarily believe that. I think that really and truly, it should be like your upbringing, where 
you know, they're just kind of paying for themselves a little bit, for paying for their own play money, learning responsibility in that way where there's no real uh, stakes. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. Um, I mean, that's just, that's what a, a parent should be able to provide for a kid. Right. But I'm just saying that there's value in what I went through. Yeah. Right? And, and it's always good when somebody who didn't go through that, but then, you know, did end up paying for their own stuff and, and you know, being their own person and stuff like that was able to learn that lesson by themselves mm-hmm. without having to get smacked in the fucking face by life first. So so in your mind, I know where I stand on this, but do you think kids that get everything handed to them while they're in high school, because in my mind, while you're in high school, like once you get to the age where you can get a driver's license and stuff, yeah. it's time for you to go to work and see what it's about. So for kids that have never had to have a job upon graduating high school, and even college even, I feel like they're at a pretty big disadvantage when it comes to being on their own. Oh, yeah. If they've never had, I feel like they're, they're seriously, because I understand like where as a parent, you want you want to be able to provide everything for your kids so they just worry about being a kid. I get that. But at the same time, it's like you're really hindering them as it comes to being an individual adult on their own so this is an interesting concept right um so let's take this a different direction in in that like um life expectancy has mm-hmm. gone up over the last couple decades you right mean as far as like how old you live yeah yeah so life expectancy has gone up over the last century like uh kind of immensely speaking of which i think it's what, like mid 70s for men 78 and push 82 for women low 80s for women yeah okay yeah, yeah. Um. In the U.S. So, so my whole point was basically that, like, as so, so you kind of think about like childhood and adolescence. Um, I think that it's more appropriate sometime to think about childhood and adolescence as a stage, and as a percentage of life rather than a certain number of years. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a phase. Yes. So. Yeah. Because the reason why I say that is because, you know, in the 1500s, you know, like Shakespearean times and like the Middle Ages and shit like that, mm-hmm. you know, people getting married at 12 and 13 years old and having their first kids. They were adults, essentially. Right. When yeah. they first bled, you know, if now if you said that today, if you said that about a preteen girl, it's like, oh, she's an adult. She, you know, she had her period. Like people are going to punch you in your fucking shit. They should. Rightfully, <laughs> rightfully <laughs> they so. Should. Rightfully should. so. But but the whole point is is that back then the fucking life expectancy was like forty. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So so there's a huge difference um in the stages of life now. So we've essentially elongated childhood and adolescence. Yes. Okay. Especially now. You're right. With the with the college becoming such a forefront thing, exactly. But yeah, okay, keep going. the only problem is that doesn't like extend to everyone, right? So right. So generally, this was only a um, this was only a upper class thing. Well, right. It was a it was a product of being upper class. Yeah. Okay. Or and or just like especially gifted. Sure. Well, and like my grandfather, for example, uh, had to drop out of school when he was like fourteen, and he was working in yep. the coal mines. 
you know, and he was working his whole life before that and giving every red cent that he made to his fucking family. Mm. Every cent between him and his 14 brothers and sisters went to his parents. Okay. And he had to drop out of school when he was 14. A brilliant, brilliant man, Mm. mind you. Um, had to drop out of school when he was 14 to work in the coal mines and then came to America and then worked his dick off here to send all the money that he made back to Scotland to get the entire family over here. So when we talk about like Mexican immigrants and stuff like that with huge families, I'm like, yo, we were Catholic too, bro. I understand <laughs> it. <laughs> I understand it. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so... But what I'm saying though is that he was he was not a kid. In fact, never m- got maybe to be. he was never really ever a kid, right. you know, because he didn't have that opportunity. And then a generation later, my fucking dad still lives with that motherfucker in his basement. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like my dad lives in his basement, in and out of prison, all kinds of stupid shit his entire life. Lives in his basement because he never grew out of that phase. Because he was afforded more opportunities, mm-hmm. and he was there were less stakes in the game for him, right? He didn't have that responsibility, you know. And then you come to me, and I made the deliberate choice to leave as fast as possible after I turned eighteen. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I went to the army. I said, in fact, not only did I go to the army, but I literally went back to the recruiter and I said, "Can we move my shit up? I need to go now." I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I, in fact, I pulled out of my second semester of my senior year because I already had enough credits to graduate. Uh. I got the principal to agree to just fucking graduate me in like the middle of January. <laughs> and then I went back to the recruiter and I was like, I need out of here now. Here's my diploma. Yes. <laughs> I said, now. Yeah. You know? And um, uh, yeah, I, didn't, I was the opposite. I was like, I want my senior summer, so just push it to the end of the summer. Oh, yeah, not I'll me. Go. I needed out of there, bro. Yeah. I needed out of there. I couldn't couldn't wait to get out of there. Because um, yeah, every day that I wasn't in the Army, I was like, this is a waste of time. I could be six months ahead by now. <laughs> you know, I, mean? I could already yeah. be done with all my training. You right. know, like all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's just, that that was what my mentality was. But... I just think that it's so interesting and and it's kind of one of those things that that makes me almost fearful of like parenthood because it's like how do I make my kids appreciate the same things that I appreciate without putting them through an immense amount of adversity well I would say I I luckily had a good example with my parents not perfect but I wish they were I honestly wish looking back on it that there were things that they made me do that they didn't I didn't have chores I didn't have to cut the grass I had to fold my laundry but I didn't know how to work a washing machine right I didn't do dishes hardly ever my parents did all that for me now that to me I wish they would have made me do at least some of that because that could have been I got three other siblings that could have been split between all of us so it wouldn't have been that bad sure and now being on my own, I know what a pain in the ass doing dishes and shit is. It's yeah. fucking, it's such a monotonous task and it sucks and I hate it. Um, so there's those things, but at the same time, like I was saying with the gas money deal with my job, I didn't have to pay car insurance. I didn't have a car payment. 
So they helped me out with that. I think the main thing about is while you're in high school, it's kind of like you're you're in the water, but you're only waist deep. It's good to be independent, but your parents still have that overreaching. Like if you fuck up, yeah, your parents are still there to kind of catch sure, you. Sure, to, to pull you out of the fucking shark As tank. opposed to you're graduating college and you've never had to pay yeah. for bills and shit like that. You're in the deep end now. Well, not only and that, but then you're drowning and life is like handing you stuff as yes. you're barely above water. Which is why I think That's so terrible. many of these kids feel so disenfranchised or so um, kind of like forgotten after they get out of college because they're like, hey, I did what the fuck you told me to. Right. And now I'm here and I don't know what the hell is going on. Yeah. I don't even know how to like wipe my own ass right now. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, because essentially that's what it comes down to, right? Because they were never forced to do that before. And then not only that, but we built these really unrealistic expectations surrounding college. You know what I'm saying? And there's something that's inherently not good about that and that we need to be cognizant of, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'll I'll tell you, um, getting back to this law of unintended consequence, right? Oh, yeah, that's a good example of it, honestly. It's exactly a good example of it, is that you wanted to be a good parent, so then you exert all these things, and then we, so we're the generation of the the hovercraft parents or the helicopter parents or whatever the fuck they're called. Um, (laughs) I don't even know what you're talking about. So I guess during our generation or the generation just immediately prior to us, um, it was like these helicopter parents where they're like, they're basically there all the time hovering around oh, okay. their fucking no, kids and saying. shit like that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, granted, obviously, I didn't have that. Like, my dad was in prison. My mom was in rehab. And I was just running the streets, <laughs> being a menace <laughs> to fucking society. Yeah. But there was a lot of people that I know that did have that. Yes. You know? And that, I just don't think, sets a good precedence for life. I mean, you you're annihilating kids like confidence and mm-hmm. inability to make their own decisions and stuff like that. You know what my one rule was? And I hope that my uncle listens to this someday so that he can smile and laugh about it. Because my my one rule when it was just me and my uncle living together and my and my brother, um don't do anything stupid. Yeah. That was my one rule. And he was like, Look, you can apply it to literally everything. He's like, You wanna go to a party? Fine don't do anything stupid you know you want to go drink fine don't do anything stupid you want to go stage your girlfriend fine don't do anything stupid which means wrap it up dumbass yeah you know that kind of thing that's great that's yeah so he had he had that was his one rule and you know and i did stupid shit anyway then he would just remind me of the rule he's like hey you broke the rule you know and i'm like oh fuck yeah i broke the rule like one time one time i got fucking brought home by the cops and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a long story, and I'll probably tell it in one of these future podcasts. But um, the the abridged version of it is basically I got brought home um, by the cops after I got in a fight at a house party, and um, I was walking down the street in Wisconsin in the middle of winter with no shirt on, um, which by the way is very weird because it was like twelve degrees. <laughs> 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 Anyways, um, so he brought me back, uh, and I came inside. And like, oh, hey, there's a cop here. And I fell asleep on the fucking couch because I was like, shit, I was drunk. And the next morning I wake up and I'm like peeling myself off the couch. I can hear him coming down the stairs. And he just looks over at me. And he's like, did you learn anything? And I was like, yep. 
and that was the entire conversation we had. That was my that was my childhood yeah. or my adolescence essentially, right? Because I was an adult, I was paying bills at that point. Yeah, you know what I mean. So like he was like, he's gonna have to learn by himself, and I did, and it was a really valuable lesson for me now. And I don't feel scared to make decisions about my own life. You know you what I mean? Understand it constantly. I enlisted in the army. I volunteered for the airborne. I re-enlisted to go to Afghanistan. I went to college. I chose my degree. I got my job. I bought my house. These are the things that I did. Right. Not that I waited for somebody else to do for me or make the decision for me. But I only have this confidence because I had to have it. Yep. Because I was allowed to have it, essentially. And if you're a helicopter parent, you're, I think that you're robbing that from your children. So the, the law of unintended consequences here for me comes in like, you want to provide so much for your kids that you take away the capability for them to develop into their own human beings. Correct. There we go. You know where you know where this uh this really hit home for me? So there's a historical example, actually. And it was actually from the um Community Mental Health Centers Act of nineteen sixty three. Okay. And where this comes into play is basically where they wanted to deinstitutionalize uh, mental illness, right? So they used to have like sanitariums. Did we talk about this in mental asylums? Um, maybe briefly. I think we touched. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. I know. I it. talked about it in the sociology class. Okay. Maybe you heard me talk about maybe it. Maybe um, So basically, what happened was is that we wanted to deinstitutionalize asylums and sanitariums because they were horrible. Right, so they were like federally run, and they Loony were bin, essentially yeah, they essentially it's basically where they just put people that they didn't want to deal with because they had mental <laughs> illness, <laughs> right? right? So they had so they spot. had varying degrees of mental mental illness. So it'd be anything from like bad depression to like legit dissociative disorders, you know, where or like schizophrenia or anything where like people are are having delusions and are really fucking off their shit, right? Yeah. So it made the mild to moderate cases worse, and the severe cases definitely never got better. Right. You know what I'm saying? And there was it was just filled with like fraud, waste, and abuse. Um, and they they were horrible. So knee jerk reaction. Okay. They want to make it better, so the government comes out with the Community Mental Health Centers Act of 1963, where they're essentially going to uh, deinstitutionalize everything, so they shut down all these asylums and all these sanitariums, and they send all these uh, mentally ill back to their communities that they came from um, with the intent that they were going to provide resources to... Uh, the communities to be able to handle it so that they can have community-based care, right? Mm. Which is the ideal because that's what you want. You want your family and friends to be able to be there and for you to be in a normal place, not like in a hospital locked away like a prisoner. You not know what I mean? I feel like you're some... Exactly. Yeah. So the idea behind it was awesome. Yeah. The execution of it was not. So basically, these communities uh, then misappropriated all these funds, um, did not set up uh, any proper infrastructure for handling these people, 
and uh, pretty soon everywhere was w- overrun with mentally ill. And uh, guess where we came from there? The homeless epidemic, which is, mm. by the way, a new phenomenon in the world, in, s- in history. Mm-hmm. Okay, homelessness to this scale has never, ever been seen because other homeless people just died because of the elements and shit like that starvation whatever right um or because like it it wasn't as difficult to uh gain employment or housing or whatever it might be depending on where you live okay um (laughs) that being said the law of unintended consequences applies here where the government you know, out of what seems like good intentions, or maybe want they wanted to seem like good intentions, right? They want they wanted to be like, hey, look what we're doing, which we see so often right now, mm-hmm. with like the stimulus and the college debt and all this stuff like that. They want to seem like they're doing well, so they they do this thing where it's like, hey, look, we're gonna deinstitutionalize all these awful asylums, and we'll you know give all these mentally ill, community based mental health care. And then the plan falls through because it's the fucking government and they can't tie their shoes together without fucking, you know, tripping themselves. Right. Okay. And now all these mentally ill start turning into homeless mentally ill. And they start propagating other people to be homeless and mentally ill. And then you have a vagrancy issue and all that kind of stuff. Like in Los Angeles right now where fucking... Uh, you can't go anywhere. You can't fucking go anywhere in Los Angeles right now. Like, I went there last January. And it's like people throwing, like, piss bottles at you in the middle of the fucking night. Screaming nonsensical things. <laughs> and fucking, I mean, just wandering the fucking streets and in tents and all kinds of shit like that. Like, fucking needles That's everywhere. What got. That's what I got Dude, in Hawaii. I didn't believe that it was that bad. But I went there and I was like, holy shit. It's scary. It was my from my from my time in Hawaii. The thing that's not in the brochure is there's a lot of homeless people in Hawaii. Like the tent city really? thing you're talking really? about. Really? Oh yeah. Hmm. No Especially shit. around at least Oahu. So I didn't venture too much to the other islands or anything like that. But Oahu, when you get into like Waikiki and Honolulu and stuff, there's no shit. Tent cities, uh, which I can imagine is much like L.A. Dude, it was, um, it's awful. You know what? It's really bad because it's not like on the outskirts of town or in the bad parts of town. or it's just wherever. It is downtown. By the way, when you talk about downtown L.A., downtown L.A. has and always will be a shithole. Yeah, downtown L.A. is not like where you go to like go to the bars and hang out with friends and stuff like that. No. Downtown LA is like skid fucking rough. Well, where's like the over there that's where like they got like the Hollywood stars on the where's that shit at? Um I think it's That's over LA, isn't it? Yeah, well that's no it's Hollywood. But it's isn't it kinda Yeah, there's there it's all kinda connected. Right. But yeah. it's um I wanna say that, I wanna say Hollywood's north of LA, I wanna say. Maybe. I think it's north of LA, if I can remember correctly. Um, it's up, you know, they they got like the mountains that are right behind them and stuff like that. Yeah. 
Um, and there, and then there's Anaheim that's down uh, south of LA, I think. Where and, and then that's where like Disney World is or Disneyland or whatever the fuck it is. Disneyland. And that means Disney World is in Florida. Florida. Yep. Yeah, because I got roofied there one time. Another story for another day. Yep. I thought I was getting shot hit by a sniper. <laughs> Anyhow, law of unintended consequences, right? So I guess, you know, what this, like, drawn-out conversation is for is that I want anybody who's listening to think about the law of unintended consequences in the future. You know, it's usually, here are the characteristics. It's usually the government, and it's usually economic, right? It doesn't have to be, though, right? It can be any, you know, any body um, from the individual to a governmental organization, you know, level of things that makes a decision and implements a plan of action, um, usually with good intentions, but without taking a moment to think about the second and third order consequences. Um, and that those th- second and third order consequences end up usually completely undoing um, what you were trying to to stop in the first place uh, or making it much worse, right? So th- so these are things that I want people to think about um, as they go forward and, and things that you can spot, you know, with kind of a trained eye in real life, you know? You'll see people doing things that are well-intentioned, especially uh, politicians and leaders and all this kind of stuff, and it's well-intentioned, and then... All of a sudden, you find out that because of these unintended consequences, um, it's actually making things worse, right? And that's not to inspire a fear of making a choice. That is just to inspire um, a modality of foresight. So take a moment to really think about what you're doing. If you have a plan of action, or if you want to intervene in something in any given way, just think about what other kind of consequences that could inspire. That should just play chess, not checkers. Yeah, think essentially. Think a couple steps ahead and be like, all right, so if this, and then and then apply, like, if this goes well, I could do this, this, and this. If it goes bad, I may have to do this, this, and this. Yeah. But always, always be doing something in my mind. That's, that's how I think of it. I agree. So with that, we're at an hour 26. Um, here's what I propose. Okay. I propose that we end the, uh, the kind of long, drawn-out bullshit on unintended consequences. And we just move on to uh, talking about whatever the fuck we want to. I need to pee. All right. That's okay. <laughs> I'll pause All right. it right now. All right.